it's okay to be where you are. You don't have to like recklessly, ravenously, you know, go after a thousand things to tick off in your forties. Being curious and listening deeply to your life um, and being a son is, is enough. Friends, welcome. We are deep in a conversation where we're picking up part two. We recorded part one yesterday. It was so life-giving. We intended a part two at some point, but we felt like the Spirit said, grab it now. And so here we are, Rob Porter and myself, Morgan Snyder, getting curious about this recovery of the ancient path and process that leads to wholehearted masculinity. So friends, if you haven't listened to the first episode of Rise uh, with Rob Porter, love for you to listen to that first. But now we're jumping into part two. And Rob, um, the, the thought is that you would guide most of this conversation being led by your questions. Um, but before we get into any of that, I have to ask you one question lingering from yesterday. You have two remarkable daughters. And now you've been entrusted with the care of this 11-month-old boy. What is it like to be a dad of a son? I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing, Morgan. (laughs) I mean, he just smiles and laughs and he has my my everything right now. (laughs) I'm still getting used to saying the word my son Mm. to my son. That's something that's not, um, you know, I think it'll be another piece of healing for me as, as, as we go through that, actually, you know, saying, son, I mm. love you. I'm well pleased with you. You know, just using that, that word, that language that perhaps I would have wanted more yes. as well, you know? Absolutely. So, but it's just stunning. It's exquisite. Sherry and I have been spending a lot of time with Atomic Habits, which is a beautiful... Have you read that by chance? Yeah, yeah. Okay, James Clear is awesome. And I think that's the next season for me. But one of the things I I just love, his work is centered in identity, right? So it's not tips and techniques. It's all identity. And what he says is every action, it's a proclamation of identity, right? If I try to not freak out over technology going sideways today and just saying, grace, we're living a world at war. It's an exercise in I am a man who is at rest, right? Like every time, it, it should be awkward to be uncomfortable calling him son. That should be because you, your body, particularly at his age, did not learn son as it was intended to be. I mean, you, your parents divorced at zero. So when you were Seth's age, you had been abandoned. And so it should be awkward. And just know a thousand times over, every time you speak son, you're declaring his identity and yours. Mm. And in time, it will be the most natural act you do Mm. is to call him son because you're calling him by your name. And so I just want to bless the fact that it should be awkward. It should be unfamiliar. It should be bumpy. And that doesn't need to be fixed anytime soon. Just keep doing it again and again and again. So friends, I, I want to begin by retracing a few steps, a few threads here. Um, when I turned 40 a few years ago, I wrote down some words that I sent to, to men globally asking for their counsel. And so this is what they received. Friends, I've entered into a new frontier of initiation and becoming. As many of you know, I turned 40 recently. I've never been here before. I've no idea what the 40s is like, what's heading my way, What would serve me well to know? I need wisdom. I need guides. I need like-hearted allies. And in full confession, I feel unfathered in how to make this transition. 
as do many in my generation. And so I pause at a crossroad in my life to ask where a good way might be found. I desire to find the right route for my soul in this new decade, and in doing so, become the kind of man who can be entrusted to guide others. And so Morgan, here we are in part two, and firstly, I'd love you to react to just listening to that intro there. Where does your heart go in hearing that? You are an entrusted man who does guide others and who is continuing to be entrusted and continuing to become the kind of man to be entrusted. But I'd love you just to first react to that before we go any further. Yeah, I love it, Rob. I, I have several kind of um, very deep, visceral reactions to it, all that are just so validating. Uh, the first is it, there's just joy on my face. It takes me back to when I entered my 30s and I asked very similar questions. I found myself at a crossroads wanting to recover the ancient path. And I felt there was just dreams and passion and longing as a man. And there was ambivalence. There was pain. There was some confusion. And I needed to find what I didn't know at the time was the ancient road, that uh, the tried and true road, as it says in the prophet Jeremiah. And I turned to older men very similarly, said, what, are, what is the path? What are the pitfalls? What are the warning signs? Where do we orient our heart as a man over time? So I resonate with you and no one else that I know has ever taken that sort of um, particular step in the 40s. And so it really strengthens me. I'm struck by a few things, Rob. I have learned as I've observed and entered into this recovery of initiation, the most trustworthy teachers are the ones that consent to being students. And we have a very passionate phrase in our household that we want to be lifetime learners and lovers. That's our core mission, lifetime learners and lovers. And so I just love that you are coming to this curiosity as a student, as an unfinished man, and yet not the man you were at 30. Yes. And we talked in our last episode, right? You're, you're now a decade into this very intentional recovery of masculine initiation. And so I'm struck that we are unfinished and there, that used to be much more unsettling. And now it's actually very comforting because we know that we're not the center of the story mm. and there's a father that is orchestrating our initiation. And we come as uh, perpetual students, as apprentices, as lifetime learners and lovers. And so I resonate with it deeply and I, I find myself asking the question back to you is obviously there's a lot. I mean, even when I responded to your questions in my own version, there was so much in my heart to try to distill and curate, I'm curious where your heart is landed with what you received. You shared in our first episode, there is a settling and there's an all is well, and there's a kindness and a mercy. I'm curious if there's one piece of counsel in it that has stood out, that has stuck with you in a way that has either interrogated you or perplexed you or um, really challenged you, but resonates in a way that you know in your spirit is true. Mm. Okay, so where I go with that, I wrote down a couple of questions just by way of example, the kind of questions that I was asking. And so here's a few of them. What do you expect is going to change for me in this decade? What would you have loved someone to say to you? What would you have me know about this decade? What am I going to need? What's heading my way? And so you're right, Morgan. It is this just student, apprentice, curiosity, but also recovery. We have this global tribe of, of men who have consented to this, this path and as we mentioned in part one, masculinity bestows masculinity. I felt and feel compelled now, whenever I reach these junctures, 
to reach out and to ask questions, to be curious, to be a student. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the greatest gifts on earth right now and, and continues to be in my life. It is just exquisite to be able to ask somebody and mm. to have response and dialogue. You know, teachers need students as much as students need teachers. And so some of the questions here before I get to your, to your question, Morgan, um, how do I live a life without regret in the next 10 years? You know, what would your counsel be to me and others regarding pursuing our wives in this decade? What does or did your wife need? Ask her. How are you learning to love your wife more fully in this decade? What treasures have you excavated? What would you want to pass on to those coming up behind you? What, how would you use your energy and your attention in this decade? What do you put your time to? What's most important? And so you kind of get an idea of the, the directionality of, of questions here and, and some um, answers that started to come out were um, easy does it. You don't have to be amazing at marriage, faith, parenting, life. Choose well what you put into your body, into your head, into your heart, uh, on a daily basis, there's no list of 40 stuff. In some places, you may still be in your 20s. And in some places, you may be living like you're 60. Be able mm. to see that, smile, and change it if it does not seem healthy. But drop the age-appropriate standards set by others. And so, hear, me hearing that, my soul kind of went to ease, Morgan. So for me, there's an ease and a peace coming to my soul by reading these men's stories of it's okay to be where you are. You don't have to like recklessly, ravenously, you know, go after a thousand things to tick off in your 40s. Being curious and listening deeply to your life um, and being a son is, is enough. And so for me, it took the pressure off. As I mentioned in part one, I, have, I haven't distilled all the responses yet. But at the moment, that's kind of where it's um, taking me to your question. What I really appreciate um, in your response, Rob, is you know our listeners, they're coming in at lots of different decades, right? We have listeners at 20s. 30s, 40s, 50s, and, and just the kindness and the winsomeness of the invitation is the Father meets us exactly where we are. And like you said, it's very insightful that within every man, there are parts of his soul that are different ages, right? They were arrested and there's, there's uninitiated parts within part of us. And so, yes, you found yourself at this 40s mark, but I would suggest to the listener um, to tune in to what is the spirit saying to you about this category at this stage of your initiation and at this stage of your initiation, what parts of you are what ages within? Because as you said, Rob, that's what gives us, first of all, compassion, but also it attunes us much more, um, appropriately to what God is doing of what is our frontier. You know, and so for the young man that isn't married, perhaps, or doesn't have kids, I remember when I was 21, I went to dinner at an older man's house who lived in a place called Black Forest, which is on the edge of our town, Colorado Springs. And it's maybe 25 minutes from town, but it feels like it's a lifetime away. It's set deep in the woods by feel and next to the Great Plains. And he... Had, has five sons and the house was chaos. There were bikes and swings and apparatus, skateboards. I mean, the yard was disastrous. And I said, Steve, what made you move? Like all the way out here, right? Recovering questions, finding trustworthy men, asking questions. And he looked at me and he said, I bought my boys two more years of childhood. Mm. 
And it was in that moment, something in my soul at 21, I, I felt the father's voice. I felt his guidance and I wasn't married. Mm-hmm. I didn't have kids. But at that moment, I said, whatever it is I do, mm-hmm. preserving my kid's childhood, allowing them to be as young mm-hmm. as they can for as long as possible is a loving act in a in a in a act of stewardship because the acorn doesn't need to be told it's meant to be an oak tree what the acorn needs is fertile soil it needs light it needs caring and pruning to get the 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 weeds out of the the grow around the soil it needs nutrients right and it will become a tree and so to your point There are things that are on time for each of our souls as a man today. And some of those might feel younger than our biological age, but we all have a frontier and we want to tune into that. And for us, you and I in our 40s, the question of the 40s is totally dependent on our initiation in the 30s Mm. and our initiation in the 20s. So you're exactly right. It has a lot less to do with chronology Mm -hmm. than it has to do with maturity of the parts within us. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and to that sort of area of initiation, Morgan, so there will be people listening to this that um, perhaps have not journeyed with that kind of language or it hasn't been um, talked about much in their circles. So where do you go these days if you were to describe to somebody who doesn't know you, um, who's never heard the word initiation, um, what is masculine initiation? Why is it needed? And what role is it playing out in your 40s currently? Mm, those are big and beautiful <laughs> questions. That is the question. What is masculine initiation really? Um, and How's it playing out? So my son was in second grade at a public elementary school and he had a principal that was a man, vice principal for one year. And that vice principal invited all the second graders. I don't know why he chose the second graders that any of them that wanted to have lunch with him on Wednesdays could come to his office, sit around a big board, you know, a big meeting room, uh, a big boardroom table. And they would all sit together every Wednesday. It's about six or eight boys that responded. And the first thing they do is put a straw in their little milk carton and they would raise a carton mm-hmm. to a toast. Mm-hmm. And he would say, cheers to being a man. <laughs> and all these second grade boys, you know, in primary school, would, to being a man. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that. He would come back every Wednesday and he just loved it. And, and the reason why I'm sharing that story is, I believe fundamentally that gender, you know, we live in a precarious time to understand gender. And I I come to this subject with compassion and empathy and curiosity. But with that in mind, I have a deep belief and have tested it and found it to be reliable over my probably 25 years of fierce intentionality that our souls have a mark, have a shape to them that is either male or female, that as God chose to form us uh, in the image of God, he created us, male and female, he created us, that we are souls. Before we're people, we're actually souls. Our souls are eternal and they have a masculine or feminine nature. And, and what I, what's important about that is everything I experience, I experience as a man and not as a woman. And if that's true, it's essential that I recover what it means to be a man, not as a caricature and not as a, as a false ego-driven um, expression, but I mean the true nature. And if I had a a graph, I would draw some image to show these are not mutually exclusive. God is one of great mystery. And so I'm not saying that there isn't vast crossover 
between men and women. We bear the image of God, um, period. But I believe God is the headwaters of all things masculine and all things feminine. And therefore, to understand, to know the heart of God and to live in the fullness of his kingdom is to relate to the fullness of God as he expresses masculinity and femininity. So I think that's a huge point. And then secondly, what I observe is life is a process of formation. The scriptures say we are invited to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. One of my favorite stories, Rob, in all of the scriptures, when Jesus is 12 and he disappears, Mm -hmm. they are, you know, they've taken a family pilgrimage and they're headed back, you know, to their hometown. And after three days, Mary and Joseph realize they haven't seen Jesus. And Mm -hmm. like, that's understandable. They travel in a, this tribal community and all the little rugrats are, are doing their thing and they're safe, right? It's, yeah. um, they're among their aunties and their uncles. And the scripture that everyone focuses on is they find Jesus teaching in the temple and people are amazed at his wisdom at 12. But the problem with that, even though that is true, is it's kind of the similar to this iconic art in the land that you grew up in, you know, in Europe, where it's like baby man, Jesus, we have these pictures of Jesus as a little baby, but he's kind of depicted as a man because we can't picture Jesus with crap in his diapers. We can't picture Jesus crying and needing breastfed. But the fact of the matter is Jesus acted selfishly in those days when he was 12. Now, here's what I mean by that, because I know people will freak out at that comment. I don't believe he was in sin. I believe he acted in the maturity that a 12-year-old is capable of acting as fully human. In other words, a 12-year-old does not have developed faculties to pause and think, huh, I wonder what my parents are thinking because I haven't checked in with them for three days. I wonder if they're concerned about my health and well-being. He's thinking about himself at 12, and he's living his life as fully human and fully God. And so what I think is important to name in that story is Jesus had a maturity at 12 that was different than his maturity at 30. Jesus stepped into a public ministry after 30 years of time with father in the shop, working with his hands, making mistakes, failing forward would be the term that I use. Not in sin, but in process of maturing, of learning through slow and steady experience and many small failures, there's a way things work. Mm-hmm. And the things externally form the inside of a person and all of that happens in a relational context and it's centered around him as a man. And so there's much to say, but in this context, I would simply summarize it is masculine initiation as a way of naming the recovery of the truest story of our own hearts that orients us into the larger story in which we were born. Mm. Where are you from and where are you going? These are the primary stories that help us recover our place in God's story. And as we center ourselves in God's story, our life lived as a response to God maturing us as a man, integrating the fragmented parts with us as a man, initiating the immature parts of us as a boy into manhood in order that we can become fully human and become everything God meant when he meant us. That's the primary narrative arc. It's the primary orientation. And I believe it's the primary interpretive grid by which we're supposed to understand all other things. And that's why it it's so important to recover this lens and way of seeing every other thing in our life.
Yeah, it's huge, Morgan. Um, yeah, there can be, you know, terminologies and languages and, um, yeah, it's, it's just so, um, powerful just to, just to see you, um, process that question as well. You know, you, you've been journeying in this narrative arc for decades and um, so here I am in, in New Zealand and there Morgan is in Colorado and I'm just looking at him in his little uh, studio room here and it's just a joy to see your heart speak. Mm. And so Morgan, just that follow-on question, like, so you're in your 40s, you're, you're past halfway in your 40s. How would you describe where the father has you in terms of your masculine initiation these days? Where do you mm. go with that? What, what's unfolding for you? Where are you being initiated? So, Rob, last episode, we talked about these primary questions of initiation. And th there's obviously nuances and there's ways to get at it with different language. But these four questions have helped me sort of recover as best I can that universal path and process. These questions of who is God, really? Not just our creedal statements, but how do our actions reveal what we have come to believe about who God really is? Mm -hmm. Who am I really as a man and as an individual imprinted, begotten by the Father, not made? What did he mean when he met me? And what does it look like to live out of that identity, bringing strength and love to a broken world? What is the story in which we were born? As we reflected on last episode, Rob, like one of the great reliefs of masculine initiation is to find that it's not up to us, mm. that we're born into a story that's God-bathed, God-breathed, God-centered, as Dallas Willard would say. And we want our lives to be in response, God-shaped lives. God-shaped lives. What is that story? Why is it that we're moved by adventure? Why does it feel like it's a love story, but set in the midst of a great battle? Where are we from and where are we going? It's essential to recover the story. And the fourth question, what is my frontier? What is the edge of my masculine initiation? where God is calling me to risk in some capacity to be made whole. As Dallas would define, that more parts of me would be united with more parts of God. Masculinity is always synonymous with risk. And so um, just to, yeah, orient to where I'm at at the moment, my kids, you know, my son is turning 19 Wow. next month. And he's, my daughter's turning 16 next month. And they are both passing through these really significant rites of passage. Abigail will be driving in three weeks, graduating, going into her uh, junior year of high school. My son is wrapping up um, his high school. He's taking college classes. He's doing EMT training and is launching into a year, a, a, an initiation year, we're calling it. And it's actually 18 months of service, of learning, of adventure. It, with his EMT, he's framing houses in Hawaii. He's doing uh, surf, surfing the nations for a three-month mission. He's doing a mission trip in Guatemala. He's bussing tables at a restaurant. He's beginning to explore a world outside of my kingdom and domain. Mm -hmm. He's trying on questions. He's discovering and all that before he goes to university in 2024. And so as I observe, um, I'm parenting a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old for the first time, and I am ahead of them in their initiation, but not by much, mm -hmm. not by much. And I feel it, Rob, with my son when he turned 15, particularly a story is coming to me where it really triggered the 15-year-old in me that was really lacking. I didn't have an uncle or a father to put 
tools in my hand and to teach me how to fix a car or fix a mower. And it was uh, disturbing for a couple of weeks until I oriented to the fact that the 15-year-old in me, which was, you know, I'm in my 40s at the time, but there's a part of me that feels 15 and I had to get in touch with that part and take some risks alongside of my son in as I'm teaching him how to wield a chainsaw, letting the 15-year-old in me enjoy it and have a lot of practice mm -hmm. reps mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. tear apart the mower and, and, and learn the next level of sharpening a chainsaw um, blade and sharpening a mower blade, a, a sharpening a chainsaw chain, sharpening a mower blade, getting the proper balance on the blade. And so I feel right now in my initiation to launch my son into, um, you know, he's become my best friend. He's my adventure partner. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just as I try on the fact of him leaving, like, mm -hmm. oh, I mean, I could just crawl up in a corner and mm -hmm. not come out for three days. And yet I'm, I'm have to practice relinquishing control and releasing him to God to acknowledge that more, and this is so hard to say, this is my frontier, more and more of my son's initiation into manhood will involve less and less of me. Hmm. I think I've never said that before. I just feel like the Spirit's revealing it in this moment. Um, part of honoring him is acknowledging with my actions that God is his father and God has orchestrated a brilliant initiation for him. And my role was central for 19 years, but it has to get smaller so that God can become greater. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to do that. And then with my daughter, I'm coming off of two very, very difficult years. I love this woman. And we had some bumpy years in there where we were missing each other's heart. And I had to throw out the entire script of what I thought, mm. and I'm, I'm being careful with these words, what I thought was God's best to participate in his initiation of my daughter. And I read it wrong. And I missed it. And I'm not a woman and I'm not Abigail. And I had never parented her before. And so I had to die to a lot of dreams that I had that I thought mm -hmm. were God's best for her, but actually were my best version of writing a script that was mostly not in alignment with delighting in her heart, curiosity about who she is, being really honest about where she is and what she needs. Mm. And for two years, I had to die a hundred deaths. And I'm just recovering in these past nine months, this, this intimacy with her, this connection with her. Mm. And I could just weep at the gratitude of sort of a second chance. Mm. And so we're stepping into her 16 rite of passage. And now it's very different than what I envisioned 16 would be but I am enjoying her mm. and I have died a hundred deaths to what I wanted in order that I could listen to what she needs, where she's at, what's next and, and let go of a master plan. And so for my initiation, parenting is a conduit. There, there's many conduits, but parenting Abigail and Joshua is a conduit that's requiring a level of forgiveness of myself and others, of breaking agreements of lies I've made, of inviting Jesus to heal uninitiated parts of me, and for me to cultivate a deeper union with God than I've ever had. And all of that fruit um, is worth every bit of suffering. But that's where I'm at today. Mm. That's so good, Morgan. I just reminded me of a, a reading from um, a bread and wine book here, but it's it's from 
the author Thomas Akempis. Mm, brilliant. When you get to the point where for Christ's sake, suffering becomes sweet, consider yourself fortunate for you have found paradise on earth. But as long as adversity irks you, as long as you try to avoid suffering, you will be discontent and ill at ease. And I, I've been marinating over this, Morgan, for a while. <clears throat> how, how God brings initiation through, through suffering. Yes. But yes. by entering into suffering again and again and again and again, the stories I've just been hearing about Abigail and Joshua, you know, are sweet. Mm. The suffering, um, I know we hear the phrase suffering servants and uh, strenuous apprenticeships, um, but it is kind of an invitation and we'll, we'll kind of dip into what the decade of excavation is um, shortly, Morgan, because I know that's a... Um, a stream of, of what you invite men into. And I'd love to, to bring that up shortly. But before we get there, I'm going to read a response that you sent to me in regard to one of my questions. So you say here, Morgan, failing forwards is the holiest kind of progress. A posture of perpetual exercising of increasing risk and reflective evaluation with the father. So this caught my attention. So I can, I can sort of have a guess. I can, I can walk with the father of what he would want to say to me through that. Uh, but while we're in conversation and given that you wrote this, I'd love to hear where your heart goes in saying a little bit more about what you mean by that. When you say that, what does that mean to where, where it meets a man in his forties? Yeah, as men, we have a precarious relationship with failure. You know, I, Rob, I would say ambivalent, but actually that's too kind of an assessment because we have an aversion to failure. Um, in general, most of the time. I want to start with Genesis because you have to start with design. We were made in the image of God and God is gener generative in his nature. In other words, we were made to grow, to build, to create. <clears throat> we were made to, to have this intimate partnership with the heart of God to continue the creative work that he birthed in these seven extraordinary days of creation. It's as though he literally turns to us and he gives us the kingdom that he gives us, Rob, the keys to the kingdom. And he says, let's go, let's finish this work together. It's just amazing. Mm. And yet you have to ask the question, how? You know, back to Jesus in the workshop and working with wood, you know, wood is an imperfect, alive material. Wood has moisture to it that changes over time. Wood has a grain to it over time, um, has a grain to it over its surfaces and in its membranes. And it's a, has a personality. It changes over time. It's a dynamic medium. And so inevitably, there's imperfections. Inevitably, there's a process of learning that only comes through failure. And so we're made, we're designed to grow, to build, to create. But one of the greatest losses of masculine initiation in the modern era is we have been removed from process. Mm -hmm. We think things are meant to come quick, cheap, and easy. Because Rob, our, we're trained that way, right? Our world exercises this reality. We are practiced in something that comes to us cheap, cheap, quick, 
and easy. We can look up and get any information we want on the internet. You can get a cup of coffee any way you want it, and it can be delivered. You know now there's Ubers. There's Uber Eats, at least in America, that will deliver a Starbucks to your house or office. Like, it's insanity. And this has become normal. And so the problem, here's the problem, is that the masculine soul was meant to be formed by a thousand small failures yes. that were teachable moments in an atmosphere of love that were the, the context for our learning skills, for our learning values, for our forming not only things, but character. And so when we've been removed from the process and we haven't practiced risk-taking, the danger is as we grow biologically and our kingdoms expand empirically, we're entrusted with more and much, and we've not become the kind of man that can handle that kind of risk. Mm. And we are paralyzed by failure. You know, it's been said by one mentor, if under-promoting a man doesn't work to destroy him, surely over-promoting a man almost always will. Mm-hmm. You know, how often you see a good man entrusted with enormous power, and it's simply too much power for his character to handle. And in a leveraged world of up and to the right that has um, that's technology-driven, information-based, men have far more power than we have wisdom. And so failing forward is my idea of recovery. What does it look like to become a son again? to return to things and practices and experiences where we can fail a hundred small times in a hundred small ways. And in that failing, we can learn. And in that learning, we can come more mature so that here's the key. We can take more risk, greater risk with greater failures and know that there's no indictment on our identity. Yes. That there's still room to say, I am loved and this is a risk worth taking. And so we learn over time that risk is the path of initiation and wholeheartedness, that failure is not our enemy. Failure's our teacher and failure's a friend and failure's a wise guide. And I'll give one quick example. So my son is a football player, American football, and He's never been able to do an epic archery hunt with me. He's he's harvested, you know, deer and antelope, but he's never hunted elk. And now that he's in this initiation year between university and and high school, we have an entire uh, window to to chase after a bull elk on public land in Colorado with his bow. And I'm going to be guiding him. And I have some experience and some minor proficiency in calling elk, but I've never mastered the techniques and using calls and tools. I've had just enough to get by, but I've committed myself in these months of preparation for his hunt in order that I'm prepared to guide him into these intimate encounters with screaming bull elk. I want to be able to call and speak the language and have intimate conversations to beckon these bulls out of the wild and have face-to-face encounters with my son. So every day when I drive, I have a set of calls in my car and I practice and fail and practice and fail and practice and fail. I'm getting a little better every month, but these are the hidden hundreds of acts where when we're in the woods and my son has practiced Mm -hmm. in shooting his bow and he's Mm -hmm. trained in his fitness, I will have the privilege, God willing, of calling in a bull to an intimate space. And whether or not he fires or flings an arrow, that's up to God and that's up to Joshua. But I want to present him with the holy opportunity of an intimate encounter. And that only comes through me failing with learning how to call a hundred times. Small stakes, Mm. small context, small repercussions, right? And as we do that, we learn the way of failing forward and maturing as men.
it's really striking just listening to you, Morgan, how, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you can, you can have anything you want to this, this sort of era of kind of comfort and, um, everything available, everything always on, but yet it's through adversity. And so where I go to, I used to do some ocean swimming, um, in the cold water over here in the winter in New Zealand. And one of my heart motivations, Morgan, was that I would be able to practice feeling uncomfortable mm. because mm. there will be a day where things in life, larger situations, I'll be uncomfortable. And so to not be prepared for that in some way, shape or form, to not be initiated into that, you know, I don't have a earthly father living you know, a few doors down who can, who can bring, um, counsel to every life situation. And so I felt God's invitation to practice. So very similar mm. thread to what you're saying there with calling the bull elk. There's a, there's, um, and this is masculine initiation. It's kind of like, I found this repetitive being uncomfortable, repetitive nature of being uncomfortable is serving me well. And mm. I want to continue to feel as, as crazy as it sounds to feel uncomfortable yes. because there's something growing where I start to believe this is going to be okay. Mm. Like I'm cared for. It's all taken yes. care of. And practicing that right in, in stage appropriate portions over time. You know, it's fascinating, Rob. I love that story. You know, September 11th was the great attack on the Trade Center here in the U.S. And there's this fascinating um, anecdote and statistic. There were loads of resources given to people experiencing trauma that were rescue workers, first responders, poli male police officers, male firefighters. There were men and women, but in the study with male police officers, firefighters, they offered these funds for counseling, for therapy, with all sorts of interventions. And what the study showed was the number one intervention that helped was these first responders that experienced therapy through yoga over time. And the primary context was putting these men in postures of discomfort teaching them to breathe, mm. holding them through the discomfort and letting their bodies and their spirits through their bodies know I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife is a highly trained yoga, trauma-centered yoga therapist. And just that body work to put people in discomfort and them to learn time and time again, I'm okay, I'm okay. Like you said, you train off the spot. So in that moment on the spot, there were moments, I mean, you know, I've done this for years and there were moments with my daughter where I was face to face and she is telling me her experience of me as a dad. Mm. And I am feeling profound sorrow, mm. anger, death, emotions I couldn't even name, but my ability to stay present to her heart to not check out and dissociate and to not go to defensiveness. I look back at that moment, Rob, and go a younger, less initiated version of me would have missed it. Mm -hmm. I would have hurt. I would have hurt her deeper mm -hmm. by checking out or defending myself or getting angry instead of taking it on the chin in love staying present because of the work that I did in similar to you of that space of discomfort and knowing that in that discomfort, I'm okay because I'm loved and I have the internal growing internal resources to be able to move through this situation that I didn't have before. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a great example. So Morgan, um, we might have time for, um, two shorter questions. Perfect. This next question, I say <laughs> in teeing up that a shorter question, 
Um, but I'm sure you could write uh, a novel about this. But it'd be just really intriguing to see where you went with this question, where you go with hearing this. So your son is 19 now. Your son Joshua is about to enter into his 40s. Where does your heart go with what you would want him to know? What would your father heart say to him? Where does your father's heart go toward inviting Joshua into this new decade? And by way of getting there, I wrote a couple of sub-questions here, which are, what would you have loved somebody to say to you? What would you have Joshua know about this decade? What is he going to need? What's heading his way? Uh, Joshua, I want you to know. And this can be as brief as as you would want this to be, Morgan. But um, and this might be a question you you obviously take away and and sort of sit on other points. I'm sure. But like for our listeners and for your own heart and for me to hear, where do you go with that? Where does your father heart go in this moment mm. toward that question? You know, it's interesting, Rob. My first response is that there isn't a general one-size-fits-all. Um, you know, where my heart goes is immediately with curiosity um, and emotion. Where is my son at 40? You know, I feel this longing. The father heart of me is far more concerned with curiosity to locate him. Hmm. Where is he in his soul? Where is he in his body? Where is he in his relationships? Where is he in his dreams and his passions? Where is he with me? And that has everything to do with how I love him. Hmm. And it's interesting because that so reflects the heart of God in that he wants to know us and be known by us. He really wants to know us. He, he is so patient to meet us right where we are. And so I find it's a question that requires another question to say, am I, am I, am I current? And do I have access to his heart? in order that I can really see clearly and, and interpret the landscape of his life and his soul in order that I can love him well and meet him there and help bring him into what's next. So that's very specific. Yes. But then in general, you know, it's really important. There's this beautiful scene in the mask of Zorro where old Zorro is taking young Zorro through initiation into becoming a Zorro. And young Zorro turns to him after he suffered through lesson two and lesson three, and he's going, why are we having to do this? You know, doing push-ups over a set of candles that are burning my belly. And he says, what's lesson number three? And older Zorro says, to get to lesson number four. <laughs> and there's just so much um, fathering in the portion, right? We don't have to know the whole story. We, we really don't. And so if Joshua was at 40, I would have to be curious, well, the parts of him that were intended in their 20s to experience exploration and discovery mm -hmm. and to learn a little bit about a lot of things as a generalist. Yes. How did that go? Yeah. And where is he at? that decade of the 30s to replace his exclamation points with question marks and start recovering his questions and seeking wise counsel from older men to unlearn ways that he's learned God wrong, to, to dismantle things that he has built prematurely, mm -hmm. to forsake shortcuts and choose the slow and steady. How did that go? How is that going now? And all of that is the prologue to get to lesson number four, right? Yes. To get to the questions of the 40s. Mm -hmm. so, so I'd be good. far less concerned yeah. with that particular decade and far more concerned with orienting to his heart, being attuned to the different ages and parts of his soul and saying, I want to get to know you here mm -hmm. and I want to meet you and I want to travel 
this road together. And that that's kind of what I've been hearing. That's kind of the the aroma that's been coming through Morgan through other men as well. And I hope for for those listening to this, for guys in their forties heading toward their forties, you don't need to hold the age appropriate standards set by others. You know, as we heard with Morgan just then, like being curious about where you are on on the map. Um, are there parts of you that are lacking? Are there parts of you location? You mentioned Morgan. You know, mm-hmm. lo- locating where you are or locating where your son is, your daughter, your wife, as opposed to having like this this kind of map mapped out and that this has been part of my curiosity this is part of my initiation hearing this and being curious uh, with the like-hearted so morgan as we as we sort of draw to um to closing part two i'd love to ask you the last question here which is firstly how would you describe what a decade of excavation is in relation to become good soil and for those that don't know what become good soil is and to the few who are um to your to our few to our peers to those rising up and to those who aren't sure about all of this where do we go from here what would be your parting counsel or encouragement so become good soil excavation invitation where do you go there, Morgan? And then to what would be your parting counsel here? Yeah, in some ways, uh, Become Good Soil is a body of work, um, becomegoodsoil.com, that birthed the book, Becoming a King. There's podcasts, blogs, and teaching, but all of it was originated out of my recovery of masculine initiation that was sort of formalized in my 30s, beginning at 30 years old, where taking my dreams and passion and pain, recovering my questions and turning to older, wiser guides. And so I spent two years and I sought over 75 men and asked them those questions. And in that curation and distilling, I found myself at Jeremiah 616, of recovering this ancient path, this tried and true road that leads to life and peace and joy. It was meant to be, and it's a process and it's unique and it's universal and it's nothing new, but it's newly recovered in every generation. And so for our listeners that are curious and want to go deeper, there's an entire body of work in a community of like-hearted. We've done many retreats and we continue to do those. And you can actually host as Rob talked about the Becoming a King retreat that he'll be hosting in New Zealand. It's our content packaged to be facilitated by like-hearted allies all around the globe. And so you can find his event if it, you're hearing this podcast before um, or others like it, uh, it, becomingakingretreat.com. But that's a body of work. And it's centered around this idea, Rob, of where do we start? And what does it look like to recover this path? And I'll start with this idea of you are here. Where is that? Pause, take stock as a man. No shame, no condemnation. The atmosphere is you are loved and you have a father that's pursuing you. And now let's get really honest, get a piece of paper and take 30 minutes and make an assessment. What do you want to celebrate as a man? What do you want to grieve as a man? What's not working? Where do you feel behind? And perhaps the question What have you done with power? What have you done with power entrusted to you? Those are locating questions to say, where are you? And the brilliance of the heart of God, Rob, is always to meet us exactly where we are. Our 
need can only be matched by the Father's infinite capacity and infinite delight to meet us in that place and provide precisely what we need. And he shows us just what's next. There's always a path forward. And I would invite you to get very honest, very practical. What are, what are three next steps I could take to engage in this space where my ache is meant to be filled by God's provision in my initiation as a man? And what does it look like to step into this space knowing God has to come through? Like, I'm not playing it safe. I need God to come through and I can't do this alone. And so the decade is a big ask in an instant world. But what I've learned in sitting at the council of older, wiser guides is the best things in life take time. That nature was meant to be our first sacred text. And nature is not in a hurry. Nature teaches us the words of the famous poet, gloriously wasteful art thou, O God. God is profoundly inefficient. Just look. Look at the grass, look at the trees, look at the ocean, look at the weather. God is profoundly inefficient in his design. He is not in a hurry. And so why am I? Nathan, it seems to me that a decade is, is a healthy measuring unit of time for the soul of a man. And so part of the unlearning and the deconstructing to recover true identity and the answers that our soul is meant to recover of our initiation questions is to begin with living in the day and measuring in a decade. And when I first invited men to a decade of initiation and apprenticeship, Rob, it felt ludicrous to me and to them, a decade felt in, impossible and it felt like forever. And I only took the risk because I saw most of the older men speaking out of regret. Mm. They were speaking life to me out of their regret, not out of what they did well. Yes. It's what they wish they would have done. And so I took the radical risk of taking the lower seat and submitting to a decade where my primary grid would be my initiation. And here we are, I'm two decades later. And what's beautiful is the world is now filled with apprentices that have walked with men like me and you that have done the decade and the fruit is undeniable. Mm -hmm. And it works, mm -hmm. it works, it works. You know, Jesus or Dallas Willard says that Jesus's life and way and theology can be tested and found to be reliable over time. Yes. And so my last invitation to men would simply be, how do you choose to take this, take the portion that's kind and accessible and live in the day and measure in the decade? Over time, we all become the student and we all become the teacher. Mm. that it's an apprenticeship of reciprocity mm. where we realize father is the center of all this, that we are brothers and that we are being apprenticed together. And we each take our time leading and being led. And it's that context of finding a few like-hearted and chasing after in response to God that brings life as it was meant to be. And so your courage to say yes and to stay the course through so much travail, I am so moved and I'm so strengthened and we have a lot more road ahead. So let's keep going. And friends, as always, I would like to conclude this episode of the Become Good Soil podcast with a transition and with a pause, with an opportunity to slow down to settle in, to receive the life of God here and now. Let's take 90 seconds 
recover your breath, open yourself to the heart of God. And we'll see you again on the next episode of the Become Good Soil podcast.